10, 5, we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means you confess sinful thoughts. Lord, I'm not believing that you said this for my good. I'm not seeing that my faith is being strengthened. I'm not seeing that looking like you is good enough. Help me do that confession. Forgive me for not. And then replace it with a biblical thought. This is a willful choice. It's not an emotional one. It's not done when you, when you want to do it. It's not done when you feel like doing it. It's not done when you have some kind of emotional experience to do it. It is done by directing your will through what you know to be true in the principles of Scripture by the power of the Spirit of God to direct your will to say, that's wrong thinking, this is right thinking. God, help me think rightly and starting to think that way. Hello, and welcome back again to Grace Maryville Weekly. If you join us at the beginning of the week, you will know that Pastor Chris is in the middle of another sermon called A Topic for Tough Time, Joy, Delighting in God by Faith. Now, at the beginning of the week, Pastor Chris endeavored to give us a biblical definition of joy as the spirit-empowered delight, which comes from recognizing the infinite value of Christ and by faith, finding our total satisfaction and fulfillment in deepening our relationship with him and with his people as we have conformed to his image. Now, if you will, please join with us as Pastor Chris finishes this message by looking at the pursuit of joy, the exercise of joy, and the reward of joy. But maybe you're one of my young people listening, or maybe someone older, and you dip your toe into wickedness and there's there's no no problem at all and and you're drawn away into wickedness and the more you are the more you delight in it you're like see wickedness isn't so bad watch out it may very well reveal the heart of an unbeliever where there's no spirit of god drawing you back there's no grief of the spirit of god in your heart you should run to jesus quickly before you are washed away in that sensory delight of that wickedness that you are pursuing so we have to overcome ignorance overcome disobedience overcome pride and selfishness a proud person does not take joy in the things that delight Christ, but in the things that delight him. And so his joys are rarely spiritual ones. Pride and selfishness. A lack of thankfulness and contentedness. The thankless, discontent person finds no joy in anything he receives, for it is never sufficient. Think about it. He gets a meal, it's not sufficient. It doesn't taste good enough. I've mentioned several times, I read the biography of Steve Jobs. No meal was sufficient for him. He never could enjoy his food because it never properly, he was looking for a sensory kind of stimulation that he could never get from his meals, and so he hated them all. And, and he had a chef that actually lived in his house and made him 15 different selections every night for dinner, and in the vast majority of time, he set them all aside. He couldn't find joy in even one of them, not even an earthly sensory delight. No church is well-ordered enough, no car luxurious enough, no response quick enough for the one who is full of thanklessness and discontentedness, and he finds no joy. A lack of fellowship and service is a barrier to joy. A lack of fellowshipping with and serving others causes us to turn inward upon ourselves. It destroys our joy. The life lived purposely unto oneself is a joyless life. Because being with the people of God and serving them is one of the primary things that brings joy. So that's overcoming some of the barriers. There are more, of course. Well, then we need to pursue the things that promote joy. If we're going to actually experience this joy, we pursue it. In many cases, they're just the opposites of what I said. Holiness. Holiness produces joy. Second John 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth. 
obedience to the will of God, the pursuit of the character of God, holiness always brings joy because it delights the spirit of God who lives within you and brings joy to the heart of God, which then brings joy to the heart of the believer. Holiness, humility. Psalm 32, 4, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. As we boast in God, setting aside our pride and recognizing who we are in light of who he is, then we can truly have joy. It may be that your own pride, thinking that you deserve more, you ought to have more, you, you people ought to value you more, is destroying your joy because you're not seeing the value of Christ. You can't put yourself on the throne and Jesus on the throne at the same time. There's no way. Your joy will be destroyed if you try to do that. It's not possible anyway. Holiness, humility, knowledge of God. We knew this was coming. In every one of these topics for tough times, what have I said? How do you get it? What, what do you have to pursue? The word of God. But I just want to overwhelm you with some verses here. When it comes to the idea of delight and the word of God, and I'm only going to give you just a couple of them, and most of them are from Psalm 119, which if you want to know about delighting in the word of God, read Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 119, 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Verse 24, Psalm 119, your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counsel. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. 47, I delight in your commandments, which I love. 70, their heart is covered with fat. They love to eat food and get fat and delight in the sensory pleasure of food. But I delight in your law. I mean, you think that's some kind of sensory pleasure? I delight in your law, the same as delighting in the fatness of, of rich food? It can't possibly be the same. It can't be experienced in the same way. Verse 77, may your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. 174, I long for your salvation. O Lord, your law is my delight. I mean, do I need to read more? I will. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. You want to delight in God? Pour yourself into his word because there you find his character and nature. And by faith, as you read his word, you direct your joy to the Lord. And then, of course, prayer. Prayer, how do you cultivate joy, holiness, humility, knowledge of God, which comes through the word and prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Joy offered back up to the Lord in prayer. Well, another cultivator of joy is eternal perspective. You have to cultivate an eternal perspective. 1 Peter 4.13, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. See, when you cultivate a, an, a perspective that doesn't look at the circumstances of this world as the final resting place for you, the final things that you need, as you look to the experience of Christ returning of your being with him, then you can develop your joy now. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So I can have joy in trial now because I know that even the most difficult thing now doesn't in any way compare with the glory of being with Christ when he returns. Diligent service is another way to cultivate joy. Matthew 25, 21, the parable of the talents, and he had been given a certain amount of money, the slave, and he'd used it wisely. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy 
of your master. Diligent service brings joy to the heart of God, and so it brings joy to our heart as well. Diligent service. And then we cultivate regular fellowship. We delight in corporate worship because we join our hearts and voices with those who share our passion and joy. Think of it. And again, in this, as, I, as I preach to four people here and a couple people in the back and a couple of cameras, this, this is not the kind of joy-producing thing that I would long to have. Now, in this circumstance, we can have joy. I get that and should, but it's not the same as the joy we have with regular fellowship. Other believers, Psalm 42.4, these things I remembered, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival, David was lamenting the fact that he'd been kept from the body of Christ. And I imagine you're feeling that way. That although we are to continue to exercise joy, it isn't even at the same level as it would be if we could be with other believers. Regular fellowship. Psalm 122.1, this is probably true for all of you as we consider how we're going to reopen and all the things we're going to do. We'll be putting out an, an email this, this week. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I understand that the church building isn't that. The people are that. And so when the people are here, we're glad to come. And we're glad when people, we'll get that email that says, come to the house of the Lord, that it's come to where the people of God are gathered. So regular fellowship comes from relationship with other believers. It also comes, and, and this, is not, this is something we need not forget, it comes from singing with other believers. Singing is one of the primary ways that we express joy, and it is one of the ways that we direct our hearts in joy, even if there's no natural emotion that flows. Think about it. You come in, you hear a song, maybe you don't like the song. You don't, you don't like the, you know, it's not your favorite hymn, and it's, it's set to a, a time and a meter and a tune that you don't like. If you will choose to delight in God through the proper godly words of the song, that song can be a vehicle by which, by faith, you direct your joy back to the Lord, and it is enhanced when you do it with other believers. Psalm 33, 1, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. First Chronicles 15, 16, David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives, uh, to appoint their relatives, the singers, with instruments of music, harp, lyre, loud-sounding cymbals to raise sounds of joy. That's what singing is supposed to be. The playing of the instruments is not just banging out an instrument. It's got to be all just right because it's good to, for it to be done well. But it is to raise sounds of joy, joy back to the Lord. It's not just banging on instruments or lashing out with our voices. We are raising sounds of joy when our heart is pursuing God. Okay, that's how you pursue joy. You overcome the barriers. You pursue the things which enhance joy. Now I want to get as specific as I possibly can. Because I know that you have, most of you heard all of this before. Maybe not some of the bits about delight, and, and maybe it was like, what are you talking about with the sensory delight? And the, Okay, but let's get really specific as to how we are going to put this joy into practice. Again, the commands, you know, at the exercise of joy, when are we supposed to rejoice? Well, the Bible's clear. Always. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Proverbs 15, 15, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Now, that's an amazing thought. Again, we know this has to be more than emotional. We know this has to be more than sensory because we're commanded to have this kind of joy all the time. When a loved one dies, when someone gets the coronavirus, when our economy tanks, it's not, it's not emotion, it's not sensory joy produced by hearing about those experiences. And there shouldn't be, that would be wrong. But there is 
a spirit-induced joy in the midst of those circumstances because we know God is working. The wind to rejoice always. In what to rejoice? Everything. That's what scriptures say. It is totally comprehensive. There's nothing that you can say, I can't have joy in that circumstance. Not, not, not from the circumstance itself when someone dies or someone is murdered. Well, that was a good thing. No. But even in the circumstance, as it points to the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, and the work of God with his people, it is to be viewed with joy. There is no circumstance that is not to be viewed with a proper kind of biblical joy. Again, I know I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Again, this mitigates against this being some kind of emotional sensory pleasure. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, it comes out in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It says, in everything, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Okay, how do you rejoice? Here, here are the specifics. Again, if you have the outline or you, if you don't, you can uh, get on our, our website and look at the, uh, and pull down an, an outline that doesn't even have any blanks in it. How to rejoice. The guiding passages are what I already read from 1 Peter 1, 6, right? In this you greatly rejoice, that is in trials, even though now for a little while it's necessary. You've been distressed by various trials. James 1, 2 through 5 guides us in this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and completely lacking in nothing. Now, just very quickly, I need to mention that you need to have joy in prosperity. And you're thinking, well, that's easy. When I've got everything is going well and I've got lots of money, I have joy. No, it isn't. That may very well be simply a worldly joy. I'm glad I got a lot of stuff. I'm in the sensory sense. I'm just feeling real good. I'm real comfortable. The sun is shining. Everything is warm and nice. That's not biblical joy. It could be that you have biblical joy so you can experience those emotions without any kind of conviction. That is, you know, that you're experiencing them wrongly. But even in prosperity, you have to do five things. Consider this first. Consider that prosperity is coming from him. If you don't, you won't have true joy. Consider how that prosperity can help you appreciate him more. Consider how that prosperity can be used for the glory of God. Consider how that prosperity can help you look more like Jesus. If you don't, you're not having true joy even in your prosperity. You have to guard against pride because if you take that prosperity as something that you have done, you don't have true biblical joy in what God did. You have to thank the Lord actively. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, even in the midst of prosperity. If you don't, then it's not true biblical joy. You need to seek the Lord for ways to glorify him through that. If you don't, then you're not properly rejoicing in the good circumstances he's given you, and you need to step forward in active service. That is, that, that prosperity you've been given, for you to be truly joyful, and it means that you are using it for the glory of God, stepping forward in service. Now, that's just very quickly. How about in trials? Because that's the real issue, right? Now, again, I'm not saying that we don't often have problems living in rich America with truly rejoicing when things are prosperous. But the way to actually consider it all joy, I, I just want to try to get as specific as I can. I don't think there's probably one of you listening to me tonight that hasn't heard the command, consider it all joy, my brethren when you encounter various trials. And I think sometimes that frustrates us. We're like, what do you mean? How do I do that? Does it mean I have to have emotional joy? I think we've already dealt with that one. No, it doesn't. Does it mean I have to have some kind of sensory experience in the midst of the difficulty, which causes me to get the cold chills about how wonderful it is? No, a thousand times no. So what does it actually mean? Let's work our way through it. 
basing this off First Peter 1, really 3 through 9 that I read, and James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. First thing you're going to have to do is consider. Again, it begins with considering. That is, to by faith believe the proper thing about. That's the idea of consider. To, to recognize and to live according to certain facts that you believe. Consider the truth about the trial. If you get this wrong, you will never consider it properly joined. What's the truth about the trial? What's revealed in 1 Peter 1, James chapter 1, and throughout the scriptures is that the trial comes from God. If you think it comes from somewhere else, if you think it's a mistake, then you are misunderstanding it and you won't, can't have proper joy in it. Consider it as necessary for your growth. That's what 1 Peter 1 says. Even though now for a little while, if necessary. So you have to understand that God felt it. He believed he, he knew it was necessary for you to have this trial so that you could grow. If you believe that, you can have joy in it. Consider it to be demonstrating the reality of your faith. It says in 1 Peter 1 that that demonstration, your faith, is more precious than gold. It's more precious than anything you have. And that trial demonstrates the reality of the faith that God has put there and shows it to be real as he keeps it strong. So you love the trial because it's showing the reality of the faith that God is building and you can take confidence and have joy because you know God is holding you firm. That's what trials do. You need to consider it as helping you remain firm to the end. Every trial God brings is to give you strength for perseverance as your sin is burned away and your faith is demonstrated to be real. And you need to consider that trial as conforming you to the image of Christ because that's what James 1 says. That when you go through that trial, you find joy in it. Why? Because it is producing. It says, so that you may be perfect, fully equipped for every good work. That is mature. You need trials so that you can look like Jesus and to the one, to the true believer, to look like Jesus. That is, gaining in maturity is his greatest joy. So consider the truth about the trial. This is using your mind. Your Holy Spirit empowered, emboldened mind to consider the truth. The trial comes from him. It's necessary for your growth. It demonstrates the reality of your faith. It helps you remain firm to the end, and it conforms you to the image of Christ. What's not to rejoice in about that? Now, that can be as deep and as dark as the rape of a child, your own child, your own rape. Uh, so we're not talking about cars, you know, cars crashing and you getting a flat tire on the side of the road. Every trial, as deep and as dark as those things, all the way to the lighter trials, the, the, the more easily dealt with trials, all of those, God says, he has brought into your life so that you might look like Jesus and it is according to his perfect will. And if you don't believe that, you will not and cannot consider them joy. Again, do you see why this isn't emotional? Because you can be wrestling in the midst of the, of, the, of the darkest of times trying to work your way through this the depth of a trial like this and still have joy, even as Jesus did at the depth of the Garden of Gethsemane and at the depth of his being forsaken by his own father on the cross, I tell you, he still had joy. He had to have because he was perfect and he never lacked. But it didn't come out in some kind of emotional happiness. Next, you're going to have to captivate your thoughts. Consider the truth. You're going to have to think. Captivate your thoughts. You're going to have to exercise your will that's part of your inner man, right? Your mind and your will. Carefully take your thoughts captive. Second Corinthians 10, 5. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means you confess sinful thoughts. Lord, I'm not believing that you sent this for my good. I'm not seeing that my faith is being strengthened. I'm not seeing that looking like you is good right now. 
help me do that, can, uh, forgive me for not, and then replace it with a biblical thought. This is a willful choice. It's not an emotional one. It's not done when you, when you want to do it. It's not done when you feel like doing it. It's not done when you have some kind of emotional experience to do it. It is done by directing your will through what you know to be true in the principles of Scripture by the power of the Spirit of God to direct your will to say, that's wrong thinking, this is right thinking. God, help me think rightly. And starting to think that way. That's what it is. And if you try some other way, you will always rely upon your emotions to produce some kind of biblical joy, and it will never, it will always fail you. Carefully captivate your thoughts. So consider and then captivate. Next, direct your will by faith in the proper direction. By faith, you direct your will and thinking to the Lord by believing his person and work. You consider the salvation that he's provided. You consider the inheritance that is yours. That's the first Peter 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused you to be born again to a living hope. He goes on to say you have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. You're not really rejoicing in the harshness of the trial or the harm of a child or the death of a loved one. You're rejoicing in the goodness of God in the midst of those things. And so you're going to have to remember by faith Directing your will and thinking to God to believe again that he has saved you. To remember again and live according to the belief that his inheritance is yours. And considering again the power that he has provided, you believe those things and you exercise your will to do so. That wasn't a one-time exercise of faith when you came to know Jesus. You were exercising faith in him. We call this somewhat simplistically preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's believing the gospel every moment, not simply talking about it. And by faith, by the power of God, that's how you're protected, but it is by faith. The power of God empowers you to exercise faith, to believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, to believe you have the inheritance, to believe that his power is yours. And then, and then this is maybe the most important part. You direct, by faith, you direct your will and affections. So by faith, you directed your will and thinking. By faith, you direct your will and your affections towards Jesus by choosing to delight in the truth of the deeper relationship with Christ and conformity to his image that you are receiving. I mean, you think you have to sit back and wait, well, I don't, I'm not really delighting. In, I don't feel like I'm delighting in Christ right now, so I'm failing to find joy. So are you saying that you have to wait until maybe the Holy Spirit prompts some kind of emotion in you before you can obey? This command to rejoice always. You're never stuck there. You're never stuck in your emotions only. You're never waiting on some kind of Holy Spirit-produced sensory emotion. And this is where I think the vast majority of Christianity gets it wrong. You are not waiting for anything. You are by faith directing your affections. God, I choose to love you. I don't feel like loving you right now, but by faith, I recognize your value. By faith, I direct my affections towards you. God, I love you. Is that a wrong statement if you don't feel it? I understand you could just be saying it for no reason at all, but you, you're, you're saying, Lord, my faith is weak. I don't feel this right now, but I know who you are, and I choose to direct my emotion towards you. See, that's not just fighting for joy. That's actually having it. See, we tend to think of fighting for joy as working through something till I get the emotion. Again, did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane fail because he did not get up and dance a jig after he prayed? No, he didn't. He didn't wait, he didn't fight for joy until he got some kind of emotional experience and a smile came over his face. 
he exercised, he fought for joy, yes, but he exercised joy in the depths of his struggle with the idea of taking the wrath of God and the idea even on the cross of being forsaken. He didn't fight for joy, he got joy. So it's not only fighting, it's actually having it when you direct your will and say, God, I love you. God, I delight in you. God, by faith, I believe you're good and I direct my inner man towards you and I, I don't necessarily feel a thing at this moment. Now, is it often true that emotions follow that? Actually, it isn't often true. And it's not even necessary that some kind of happy emotion follows. In fact, it would be rare and somewhat perverse if you had good, happy emotions after you found out that a loved one died. That wouldn't be the right response, but it could be a response of joy. So we, by faith, direct our affections. By faith, we direct our thinking. By faith, we direct our will to move in that direction. That's real. That's not fake. That's not just drumming up some kind of... In fact, drumming up an emotion would be fake. Directing your will is entirely different. Like, I hope that helps. Because that's what Scripture decides, de describes. That's what it means to consider it all joy. Because that's a real experience. Hear me, that's not fake. When you exercise faith, it's real. It's not fake because it didn't come with some kind of emotion that you thought it ought to come with. It's still real because God has worked in your heart and you've directed your inner man that way and he's strengthened you unto that. Again, I hope that helps. There's more. If we're going to consider it all joy, we consider the truth, we captivate our thoughts, we direct our will by faith, and then we actively praise. We actively praise praise. We praise and thank God for his goodness and the goodness of what the trial will bring. Again, to just try to bring this home. You walk in one Sunday morning, you're really wrestling and struggling to, to have joy in God. The songs start to play and you're like, well, I'll start singing when I get emotional. I'll start singing when the right chord hits. When Sierra plays the right progression on the piano and I get emotionally moved, I'll start to worship. You had best not wait because that's not what joy is. You come in and you say, Lord, you captivate your thoughts. You consider his goodness. You, you say, I'm going to direct my act. I'm going to actively praise you right now. And I'm going to ask that you would, by your grace, accept this offering as an offering of joy unto you, even though my uh, emotions aren't, aren't yet or at this point engaged. In Psalm 103, it doesn't say, bless the Lord, O my soul, when you feel like it. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. We do that by faith. We actively praise, we actively pray. We actively pray. That's part of our finding joy. God, we cry out to him. Lord, help me in this way. Help me that this would be true joy. My faith is weak. Help my faith be strong. I'm directing this to you. That's the best I know how to do. Please take this as joy. I long for you. I need your help. We express those things to the Lord, and as we do so, he receives it by his grace. His Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps this petition be one that is real. It's a supernatural thing when we cry out to God, asking for him to receive our expression of joy that we're still wrestling to fully bring before him. We actively pray, and then we actively obey. If we're going to have true joy in a trial, we have to in, put into place biblical principles. The act of obedience began with our minds. And then it works its way out in our actions and we step to the next right action and we find joy in the next right action and, and it is both a, an exhibition of and increaser of our joy. And then the last thing we do is we actively evaluate. How was it? What, when I made it through that experience, was I, and, and we confess where we sin and we rejoice, we have greater joy when things went well. That's the way that we practice joy. We consider it all joy. We do what? Again, we consider the truth. It came from him, the trial. 
helps us appreciate him. It's used for his glory. It helps us look like Jesus. We, we have to guard against our pride. We thank the Lord. And we, we captivate our thoughts. We direct our will by faith. We actively praise, actively pray, actively obey, and then we evaluate by the Lord's grace. But what's the reward of joy? Well, the reward is what I said at the beginning. Joy actually enables me to directly experience the benefits of Christianity even when things are horrible. I mean, do you see how liberating that is? You want to actually experience the joy of being a believer? The, the, the ben, that's fully of, as full an experience of those benefits as you can actually have on earth before you're in heaven? Exercise joy in the ways that we've said. That's what it brings. An intimate relationship with God and a growth in that. An intimate relationship with God's people and growth in that. The pleasure of God that we actually experience as we direct our joy to him. And the power of God. Experienced by us through the joy that he brings in our hearts through the spirit of God. Nehemiah 8.10, as the people were grieving over their sin or wanted to, he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. Send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is our strength. My prayer for my young people, for my church, in the midst of this, for the Lord's church that I have the privilege of working with, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of any difficulty, is that you will be able to set aside the worldly and sub-Christian views of joy that keep you from actually experiencing, and I mean experiencing, not inventing, but experiencing the benefits of your Christianity by finding gladness in God, joy in God that's developed in this spiritual and scriptural way. It's real joy for the real benefit of God's real people in the midst of real difficulty. This joy can be yours. And might we practice this joy together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you that you, your spirit produces a real joy, not a fleeting emotional or sensory one, not one that is, is simply brought about by the enjoyment of a circumstance or, or the tricking myself into thinking that it's good when it isn't. The true delight in you and what you are doing in the midst of even the hardest of things that is directed by faith so I can experience it at any time. But apart from the sin that plagues me, I, I can exercise faith and I pray that this congregation would, that my young people would, that my, my, the precious people in this church who are wrestling through difficulty, that they would recognize that in a moment, by faith, they could exercise joy and experience the benefit and blessings that you pour out upon them this day. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that's gracemaryville.org. There not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace Community Church, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages, not only presented by Preston Chris, but also messages presented to 
our women's ministry, our youth ministry, and our college-age ministry. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again on Monday when we will begin another series of messages from God's Word. <laughs>